Today we start this four-week series called Imperfect Families, and the name of the series is Strategic, uh, because we want you to know there are no perfect families. There are no perfect families in this church. There are no perfect families represented on our teaching team. There's no perfect families in your neighborhood or in the Bible. No perfect families. For sure, Linda and I don't have a perfect family. Sometimes people look at our family and think, well, everything goes so well for you. We'll talk about that in a minute. I learned no perfect families. I learned this so clearly as a youth director for years and years and years. Because what would happen is so many families look good on the outside to the public. Their public persona is great. It looks like their I's are dotted and their T's are crossed, but it's not true. They might live in a new house and drive really cool cars and post great family pictures on Facebook and have an upbeat family blog. But they're not perfect. Don't let it fool you. Every single family makes mistakes. Every single family is broken and falls short. And here's the deal. That's not a problem. That's the world we live in unless you expect your spouse or your children or yourself to be perfect. No perfect families, and there should be no perfect expectations. It's so important that we set our expectations for family life correctly. Think about the families in the Bible a minute. Some people have this image like there's a lot of great families in the Bible. I say there's none. Adam and Eve were put in the perfect environment with no emotional baggage from their past, no bad family history, no in-laws to deal with, and they failed miserably at family. Perfect environment, they failed at family. First of all, Adam chooses uh, to love and listen to Eve and his own wrong motives when he's offered a piece of fruit and he breaks the whole world with sin. And then for the first time, the world has uh, uh, a homicide when their son Cain kills Abel because he was jealous. So much for a perfect start. The first family was messed up. Abraham's wife Sarah couldn't get pregnant, so she disobeys God and gives Abraham her maidservant to sleep with, which creates all kinds of problems in world history. Joseph's brothers, oh, they were loving. They sold him into slavery. And they lied to their father for years and years and years. King David, good family he had, he looks over the roof one day and takes Bathsheba and has her husband killed. And what about Joseph and Mary? Jesus' earthly mother and father took him on a trip to the temple when he was 12 one youngster to keep track of on a road trip, and they lose him for three days. What kind of parenting is that? I often tell fun stories about our family. We love being together. We love, we're weird, we're broken, we're committed to doing our best, but uh, our best is broken. Uh, We've experienced so much um, imperfection. In fact, I've said several times in my teaching over the years that apart from the power of God and the grace of God, and the command of God, Lynn and I would have probably been divorced five different times. And every single time it was my fault, Uh, which is true. I just live with that knowledge. And I'm grateful that we knew the power of God and the command of God and the grace of God so we could keep making it work. There were times, and many of you have heard these stories, when we were tempted to give up and I would hurt Lynn. And Lynn would say, Dave, can you just promise you won't hurt me again? And I'd have to say, I'm going to do my best, but I can't promise not to hurt you again. You know, I grew up as a wrestler. (laughs) He just seemed to hurt people. Um, uh, uh, One night, many many of you have heard one morning, I got up. And uh, it was in a time of relationship when we weren't talking very well. It was in a time of relationship where I was working too hard. It was a time of relationship we didn't have time together. I got up and started to pack for a 10-day mission trip. 
And as I was packing in our downstairs bedroom, it dawned on me I'd forgotten to tell Lynn that I was leaving for 10 days. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you who travel a lot. I don't travel that much, but it was not a pleasant morning. I went up and said, Lynn, I forgot to tell you I'm leaving this morning for 10 days, and I need a ride to the church. (laughs) It was a quiet ride, no words, no talking, no goodbye kiss. And while I was in Canada, without phones, in those days at a mission trip on a camp, I wondered for 10 days if the family would still live in my house when I got back, or if my key would still work. You see, don't walk in here and look around at our 850 families and think, well, everybody's got a smile on their face and everybody's family works but mine. It's just not true. And the crazy part about those days when I was gone, people with me didn't know the struggle we were in and people here with Lynn didn't know the struggle we were in. You see, as a church, we're pretty good at putting a smile on our face and walking through hard times and like just not sharing our pain. And that can give us the view that there is no pain here. But it's just not true. It's just not true. Um, After I had moved here for uh, a year and a half, two years, uh, I wasn't sure if God had actually called me here for a long time and a Christian college was uh, calling me and wanting to know if they could uh, interview me. In fact, I'd gone to the college and met with the president. And I came home and one night at supper, I I brought it to my family, and we'd lived here a year and a half, two years. And I said to my family, four children and Lynn, hey, maybe I should investigate further with this college. And my son, Jer, was our oldest. And he said, does that mean we'll move? And I said, yeah. And he picked up, we were having spaghetti. He picked up a plate of spaghetti and threw it across the table, smacked a wall, spaghetti strings hanging on the wall with sauce there. And tears coming down his eyes, and he said, Dad, I can't move again. This was too hard. This was way too hard to move. I can't do it again. Silence at the table. And it was easy for me to call the president of that college the next day and go, I made a mistake. We can't move. And so if you think there's pain-free, perfect families around here, just get that idea out of your mind. Two things we want to do in this series. One is we want to inspire you to this high-calling of living in a family and doing your best. We want to inspire you and cheer you on and say, hey, you're doing a good job. Keep going. We want to inspire you. Then we want to talk about some ditches that you need to stay out of. Because we live in a culture and a context that has ditches that we can always go off center line of the road and fall into. So we want to inspire you. And we want to say this. It doesn't matter what the form of your family is right now. If you're a single mom or a single dad raising the kids by yourself, if you're a divorced couple living on the same street and you're sharing the kids, if you're a mom and dad trying to get pregnant and you have been unable to, whatever form of your family right now, you can live in a way that honors God. You can. And we want you to know that. So today uh, I'm talking about uh, imperfect families in dark places. It's a weird way to start. But we wanted to say to you, we know dark places are hard. And I chose this topic because, again, you might come in and think there's no families in dark places. And you would be wrong. 850 families call Orchard their home. And just a whole bunch of them are walking through dark places right now. But we're good. We're good at not always talking about it. And we're good at putting on a smile and coming and worshiping God. And there's a good side to that. But it's a downside if you never see the pain. Father was in my office two weeks ago and said, Dave, last week 
He made the appointment. He came in. He sat in my office. He said, last week my daughter told me she was gay. And two weeks ago my son posted on Facebook that he's an atheist. Tears in his eyes, this dad said, what have I done wrong and what do I do now? He was in a dark place questioning himself. And it was very, very hard. A mother was in just last week telling me the story of DHS starting an investigation on her and her husband. Their baby had had a seizure and he'd gone to one hospital, then another hospital and ended up in Iowa City. And the doctors and the nurses came out and started asking him questions. And the hospital said this. Either your son was in a horrific traffic accident that we don't know about, or he was dropped out of a two-story building, or he was profusely shaken to the point of concussion and brain swelling. It became clear over those days that first DHS thought it was the parents, and then they found it was the babysitter. Yet that Sunday, that mom and dad came into the church service they attended here at Orchard, And you would look at them, and you wouldn't know their pain. Just look around the room. You see, pain is a part of life. We have husbands and wives hoping to have a baby, unable to get pregnant month after month after month, and it's hard. We have teenagers struggling big time with sexual identity issues and acceptance by peers and figuring out a future that works for them. And many of our teenage children are in very dark and hard places. And so they cut themselves. Or so they think about suicide. Dark and hard places families are. We have parents for whom faith in Jesus is the center of their lives. And their children are walking away from that faith. And it's hard. Sometimes we have parents who go to visit children and discover the entire direction of their life in another city once they're adults. They have the wrong friends, the wrong habits, the wrong morals, the wrong directions, the wrong priorities. And they come back and they come to my office and they go, it's so hard to see your kids making these mistakes. We have families. I mean, I could go on and on. i got to stop in a minute. We have families visiting their children in prison. We have families in different stages, moving through divorce. We have a group of adults, a growing group of adults, who are walking with their parents who have Alzheimer's and dementia. Have I hit your hard place yet? Just look around. Maybe you're one of the John Deere 600 who got a pink slip this week. Uh, Yesterday, our family was in Ames watching uh, three kids play basketball with my son, Joel. And they got a text just yesterday afternoon, and their small group leader was informing their small group, asking Joel and Sally to take over the small group because they had just figured out their kindergartner has leukemia and will start chemo. One year ago, we had a grandbaby, Carrie. Uh, We have a picture of her now. Um, We have a grandbaby, Carrie, who was uh, born. uh, Her lungs and kidneys weren't working. Her blood was messed up. She was unable to breathe on her own. Lots of you prayed. That was a dark time for our kids. And they leaned on the promises of God. And in this case, God doesn't have to do this. In this case, completely healed Carrie. And uh, she's in a great place right now. We had another six years ago. We had Kaya, who had MRSA, and was in isolation. And we didn't know the future of that young lady. And so, uh, now I'm an optimist. I'm faith-filled. I trust God. Our family walks through dark places. Your family does too. 
The scripture I've chosen to bring as an encouragement and an inspiration is the most famous scripture in the Bible on walking through a dark place. Anybody have a guess? You probably hear it at funerals. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is an interesting scripture. I'm going to read it to you in a minute. But here's what I want to say to you about Psalm 23. It's written by David to be a worldview of how we're going to see the world. It's written by David to help us ground our faith in a reality during a dark time. This is the way we should think. This is what we're called to believe. So let me read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to pull out five things that we should understand and remember as we're in imperfect families walking through dark places. Number one, God is enough for our families today and every day. God is enough for our families. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Hear that? Oh, here's the key thing. It doesn't say you're enough. It doesn't say your spouse is enough. It says who's enough? The great shepherd is enough. So that as you follow the great shepherd, you will lack nothing that you absolutely need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. We live in a day and age when a lot of young moms and dads believe they need to be everything for their kids. They need to fill all the needs of their family. And the message this psalm says, and I want to underscore today, is nobody on earth gets to meet all the needs of another human being. Nobody. If you think you can meet all the needs of your children, bonk, thanks for playing. You cannot. But there is one who promises to meet all the real needs. They will lack nothing, and that is God. Your son is being bullied at recess. You will do everything you can. But it won't be enough. You need to point your son or your daughter being bullied to the shepherd who's right there on the, on the playground with them. Your daughter is being excluded from that mean friendship group. You won't be enough. She's going to still cry in her bedroom. But there is a shepherd who's with her in the bedroom and can give her love that she needs. I have lots of friends who are walking with adult friends who are out of town and their children, their, my friends, their children are out of town going through divorces. And my friends go and visit and talk and sometimes send money. And they take time off of work to go babysit the kids. But deep down when they drive home and they look in the eyes of their adult children and they see the diverse pain, my friends come to me and say, Dave, I wish there were more I could do. There's only so much you can do as a human being. And so what do we need to do? We need to continue to point our children and our families and ourselves to the great shepherd who can, in fact, meet all the needs. 
I'm going to stay on this just one more minute because I've got this growing theme evolving in my heart and it's about the church in North America. This one point, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing, is the greatest antidote for fear in our world. You see, the idol, somebody wrote an article this week, the greatest idol in the church today is fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of the economic future. We're afraid of... uh, All kinds of things, and we're afraid for our kids. And we have to stop it. There are a lot of things you can't do. Fear is not helpful. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall shall lack nothing. There are debates raging about free-range kids. How afraid should you be for your kids these days? And there just comes a time when you understand as a parent, I'm going to surrender the future of my kids to the shepherd. Um, Second thing, God will guide us to right paths for his glory. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. God will guide us on right paths for his glory. Nothing coming into your life in 2015 will surprise God. Nothing. He is ready to lead you on right paths for his glory. He does not promise easy paths or comfortable paths or or your preferred paths. Can't you picture the sheep saying to the shepherd, the shepherd sees the whole landscape and he says, we're going this way because of where I found you wandering. And the sheep goes, no, 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 I want to go this way. No, that's us. We have to be willing to say to the shepherd, we'll follow you. You know the way. As you surrender to him in prayer, he always has the right path for you in this day. If it's a dark day and you bury your dad or a jubilant day and you bring home your healthy baby. If it's a day when you're called to turn down a promotion. Or if it's a day like Brian Steenhook, the pastor we've hired from Michigan, who right now is arranging to move his whole family from Michigan to Grundy Center. We have to trust and we have to believe that God has the right path for us. It's a way of thinking. We're going to trust. Third thing, every family walks through dark valleys and God will comfort them. Your dark place might be one phone call away. Sometimes dark places are quick and short and sometimes they last for years. We have a grandniece. Her grandpa and grandma are in the church here who has SMA, which basically means she has major muscles are getting weaker and weaker and she goes to elementary school with a walker and a wheelchair. And that's a dark place. And it's not going to get better. And it's going to last a long time. The next one. God's goodness and love will follow your family all the days of your life. In my Bible, I underlined the phrase goodness and love. Because he doesn't say your comfort, your ease, or your healing will follow you all the days of your life. He doesn't say you'll be healed. He doesn't say things are going to be easy or comfortable or even financially uh, solvent. But he says God's goodness and love to you will follow you. You and I have all read biographies that inspired us of people who lived for months and years in prisoner of war camps. And they found even in the cell, prisoner of war camp, that God could be enough for today. The final thing I want to just remind you of, this is a way of thinking, this is a way to walk through dark places. 
Our legacy is God's home forever. I've heard Ed Baker share this for years, beginning when his parents died. You know, years ago, Ed said, heaven is a nice idea until you have a loved one waiting for you there. And when you have a loved one waiting for you there in heaven, it becomes more real. It becomes more special. It becomes a motivator as we look at the rest of our life. A lot of you have people waiting for you in heaven. Our legacy is God's home forever. I've talked about setting a thousand-year goal. And you go, how can you do that? You won't be alive in a thousand years. Well, you won't be alive on this planet in a thousand years. As a follower of Christ, you'll be definitely alive in heaven. What if you set a goal for a thousand years to have a family reunion in one of those rooms in heaven? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it weren't so, I would have told you, but it is so. So why don't you take one of those rooms and schedule a family reunion and say, I'm going to do everything I can with my life right now, even amidst the dark places, to see that my children know Jesus and their children will know Jesus and their children's children will know Jesus. That's a legacy. God is a supernatural God with power to walk you through dark places. But it's not just in the Bible. It's actually still today. So a young mom comes in. I share this with permission. A young mom comes in to see me in my office last week. She grew up with several sisters, one of which she was especially close to. This just happened. They'd walk many days in the week. They both had two young kids. Her sister was a nurse. And what she thought she had was heartburn and indigestion. And a few weeks back, she uh, got, took medicine and it didn't get better, and so she scheduled some tests on Monday. And on Sunday afternoon, this 45-year-old young mom died of a heart attack. It was catastrophic, heartbreaking for her husband, her two kids, and their entire family. It was a very, very dark place. This young woman was visiting with me. This is her sister. She was sitting in my office and said, Dave, now I want to tell you a supernatural picture of God, and I hope you won't think I'm weird. I said, well, tell me more. She said two nights after they buried her sister, she got a call from her brother-in-law that the kids wouldn't go to sleep at all. And so the sister went to her home and laid on the bed and helped put the two kids to bed, which a sister would do. And she said while she was laying there on the bed and the kids were asleep and she couldn't sleep at all, all of a sudden in the corner of the room there was this like bright light. And it was like it was framed by haze. And in the middle of that was her sister. And there was a huge smile on her face. And she was holding a baby. And it was all white. Bright light, huge smile, holding a baby. And then it faded away. And the sister went out to the kitchen where her brother-in-law was sitting, mourning his wife. And the sister said to her brother-in-law, sitting at the table, I just saw like a vision or something. And she said, but it was weird, I didn't get it. Because it was your wife, and she had a huge smile, but she was holding this baby. And this brother-in-law got the weirdest look on his face. And he said, you never knew this. But your sister lost a baby that you never knew about. I think that's who it was. We have a God who has power. We have a God who meets needs in dark places.
So this lady says, Dave, do you think I'm weird? I said, no. I don't think you're weird. I think God works like that sometimes. Before we pray, Katie Green is going to come out and sing a song. And this is a song that has a piece of an old hymn. And the old hymn that it has a piece of in the song is called, It Is Well With My Soul. Let me tell you about this hymn. Horatio Spafford was a 43-year-old lawyer who lived in a suburb of Chicago with his wife Anna and his five children. In 1871, his only son died. A few months later, the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 consumed Spafford's real estate investments. He lost his life savings. Son dead, lost life savings. Two years later, Spafford and his family decided to take a vacation to Europe. However, Spafford was delayed by last-minute business details in Chicago, so he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship, as they had already scheduled, and he promised to come in a few days. And on October 22, 1873, the ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes. 226 people on that ship were killed. And when the survivors of the shipwreck landed in Europe, his wife, Anna Spafford, cabled her husband, a famous cable. It said this, Saved alone, what shall I do? So now we have a guy who lost his son, lost his life savings, and lost his four daughters. Spafford immediately left Chicago to bring his wife home. In the midst of his sorrow, while sailing near the place of his daughter's death, he wrote the words of the hymn. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. See, I don't know what your dark place is. King David, who wrote the Psalms, wants you to be able to say, It's well with my soul. And we can do that in our families. Quaked before Moved by the sound Of his voice Seas that are shaken And are stirred Can be calmed and broken From my regard And through it all And through it all My eyes are on through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, and it is well with me.
Far be it from me to not believe Even when my eyes can't see And there's a mountain that's in front of me Will be thrown in the midst of the sea Through it all, and through it all my eyes are on you And through it all And through it all it is well And through it all And through it all My eyes are on you And it is well It is well So let it go My soul Trust in Him The waves and wind Still know His name So let it go My soul And trust in Him The waves and wind Still know His name as followers of Jesus that we have hope of saying those words in a dark place. It is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray together. Dear God, in this room right now. Right now. There are families, there are people who are in like a real dark place. 
And as a church, we can only do so much. And as family members, we can only do so much. But you, oh God, you can meet every need. And we pray that you would. And that we would recognize that in fact it is you meeting our needs. Help us think right. Help us believe right. Help us see the world correctly. Because God, you are true. And you are good. And you are loving. And you will meet the real needs of our lives. Father, even though we live in a broken world, you will take us wherever we're broken. And you've promised to work good from that broken place. We pray for uh, the others in the room and we pray that you would be very present and at work in every life and in every family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.